0: Cura, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard.
1: And w- welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. This is Wellington Nexus Radio 106.1 FM. Um, my name is Dan, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm the chairperson for today's meeting. And um, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll start the meeting as we always do with the serenity prayer. So if you'd like to join me, God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage, change courage to change things the things I can, and, and wisdom, wisdom to know to the, the difference. difference. Okay, I'll read the preamble now to Alcoholics Anonymous. It explains a bit about what AA is and also what it isn't. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Now we've got the uh, the, uh, Bulls and Bears crew in today, so uh, normally they start with a reading. They start with reading a, a passage from... The, the text, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's called, the book is called Alcoholics Anonymous, and they, they read how it works. So I'm just going to read how it works now. Uh, chapter 5, How It Works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. But many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely remember that we deal with alcohol cunning baffling powerful without help it is too much for us but there is one who has all power that one is God may you find him now half measures availed us nothing we stood at the turning point we asked his protection and care with complete abandon here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery one We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. 3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves. We try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would, if he were sought. So that was a reading from the alcoholic, the book Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the beginning of Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 58 and 59, and also page 60. So as i mentioned before, we've got the, the Bulls and Bears group in the studio today uh, to share their experience, strength and hope. So we'll start with the sharing now. Brenda, would you like to share? Yeah. Uh,
2: thanks, Dan. My name's Brenda and I'm our an colleague. Um, it's very nice to be here this morning and um, thanks for inviting the Bulls and Bears group along. Um, I, um, I particularly like that reading in the big book, um, uh, the, the phrase I like in there, well there's one about um, thoroughly honest, you know, take these steps, but the one I particularly like is our adventures before and after. Um, I like that because for me recovery has been an adventure in living. And uh, I didn't know that life was such an adventure um, during my drinking. And I had a lot of adventures during my drinking, but um, most of them I don't remember. So um, particularly like that, but I've got two kind of lives. You know, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 20 years old, and I've been continuously sober um, since 1982. I'm not very good at maths, so I don't know how long that is, but, um, you know, I have not had a... Um, drink or drug since that time in March uh, 1982 and it's all due to the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know that I had a problem with alcohol necessarily before I got here. I um I knew I had a lot of problems in life that I didn't understand how life worked. It baffled me and the only time that I really thought that life made sense was when I was drunk. I understood everything then, I knew everything and um you know um, alcohol did a did a special had a special effect on me when I drank. It took me from being a very shy person to, um, you know, being baffled by life. To, you know, if I had a few drinks, I suddenly wasn't baffled, knew everything, and, uh, uh, you know, could do anything. Um, or thought I could do anything, and I often did do things that I, I wouldn't do when I was sober. Um, and I you know i thought the alcohol when i first tasted it and picked it up was the answer to all my problems and within a very short space of time um without me kind of making the link it was starting to cause me all my problems in my life you know oh uh, yeah i started drinking at 14 like most people um I had a couple of drinks in the bush with my mates we'd grabbed something from the the one of my parents parents Cupboards and made a concoction in a vessel and some sort of bottle and rushed into the bush and started drinking and and for me you know there was never a line crossed over with my drinking I absolutely loved that experience that it happened when we had that drink or that concoction in the bush I just loved it we um I got very drunk um thought I was suddenly all powerful and bulletproof and you know clever and. Uh, And I don't think, though we never discussed it, I don't think my two mates had quite the same same effect on them as it did on me. Um, I then proceeded from that time forward to drink as much as possible every chance I could, uh, whenever I could. By the time I was 15, uh, my father chucked me out of home. I left school, had just previously left school at 15. Um, I thought it was quite entertaining to get drunk in the lunch hour and go back to school, they didn't find it quite so entertaining. So after a few um, times of that kind of event, plus, you know, with other stuff going on, they asked me to leave the school before I got expelled. Since I was 15, I, I left. But as soon as I left school, my father kicked me out of home. So I was living in a flat at 15 with a job. And Pretty readily access to alcohol. I could drink as much as I wanted, when I wanted, and, um, and I proceeded to. I drank every weekend, and um, and often through the week. And every time my drinking was to blackout. You know, I didn't stop drinking. It was like a switch couldn't be turned off. I would drink until um, I came to a physical halt, and um, you know, come to the next day and. Um, I didn't really suffer hangovers. I think I was quite lucky. I had the dry horrors, but I didn't really suffer a- hangovers. So I just sort of start up again. I um, Proceeded to do that for a period of time, and then I started to lose my jobs. And I ended up unemployed, I think, at around 18, and started just drifting around, um, living in various places, because I didn't have any money. Living with various people, ended up broke back in Nelson. Um, met another guy, travelled around with him. Ended up in the Coromandel, um, and it was in the Coromandel that my drinking really took off. Um, it was summer. I discovered a garden bar. You know, so it was legitimate to go in there about eleven o'clock and start drinking. And uh, in, in, and it was over in the Coromandel that I turned twenty and was old enough then to be able to go into pubs to drink. All my drinking part of that hadn't been in pubs, I hadn't been able to get in. Like I'd walk into a pub and they'd just take one look at me and say, you know, it's too small, too too young looking, they just chuck me straight out. Um so all my drinking was done outside of pubs at so once I, I thought I thought, you know, I had this thing in my head that when I'm old enough, you know, I'll turn twenty and I'll, I'll drink like a lady in a pub. I don't know why I thought that, but I'd never drunk like a lady before that, so yeah. So I, I walked into the pub and And I didn't drink like a lady. I drank exactly the same way I did every other day. I drank like six pigs at a trough. And um, the trouble was, in the pub, you know, it was pretty endless supply. And my drinking from November through to um, about February, March was kind of catastrophic. I don't remember much about it. Um, But I did a lot of things and, you know, heard a lot of people ran riot through their lives as the alcoholic does and ended up... I ended up in the back of a van, um, coming to you one morning quite drunk, with a, quite a disappointed boyfriend looking at me saying, you know, um, can you not control your drinking? And I said to him, because I'd, I'd been briefly to AA at 18 when I was quite depressed, um, for about a, for a three-month period, and I said to him, no, I can't, and I need help. And we we drove. We had a CA Bedford van, which we were living on a commune, and we drove it out of the Commune, and I went to Hamilton it was Easter, and I went straight to an AA meeting. Um, not because I really thought drinking was a problem, but I thought I just wanted to get out of trouble with this guy. And uh, as and really you know, my first AA meeting that I went to when I was eighteen, I, um, I, I was in Wellington, and I'd <clears throat> been taken to this meeting by my big sister and um, pushed into this room. And I always say there was there was. Six of the oldest people I've ever seen in my life sitting in a basement in a church. And they were so old, I thought they had cobwebs on them. And I remember sitting down, I was so frightened at that stage. And, um, and they spoke to me, and I don't know what they said because I can't remember because I was in such a panic. But I, I do remember how I felt when I walked into that meeting. And I felt that um, I felt the very same thing that I'd felt when i first gone, had a drink. You know, I felt this was the answer to my problems that I felt at home and I felt these people were speaking the truth to me. And um, and I never forgot that feeling. So when I came back at 20, you know, I kind of knew somewhere inside me that there was a place to go where people did understand me. And, um, yeah, so I ended up in Hamilton at 20, um, <clears throat> on quite resentful at the boyfriend but kind of wanting to keep him and, you know, so I was going to do some things to keep him and one of the things was lay off the drink for a while and I thought I'll come in here, hang around for six months, and then he'll forget what I've done, and I can safely drink again. And, um, and what happened was, um, within six months of hanging around AA and not having a drink, being physically sober, something shifted in the so- inside long enough for me to want to have a different life than what I'd been living the previous six years. You know, and um, and I knew that AA offered that, offered the ability to change and have a different life. I didn't particularly like the solution that was offered. I didn't want to believe in God. I didn't want to do a whole lot of steps. I didn't want to do any self-reflection. I just wanted all the pain to go away and for me to be able to live what I thought was a normal life. And, um, and what I found in here in doing the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, you know, just not picking up a drink and having physical sobriety Is a life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, when I arrived in AA at twenty, I basically, um, you know, just wanted to be dead. I wanted to be dead by twenty-five. I wanted to burn out, not fade away. And um, and what I've, you know, I've had much more than that lifetime given to me um, in this program. And then, you know, I do a few simple things. I um, I don't pick up the first drink. I attend AA meetings, I try and help others. And the other thing I do is, um, they said to me, you know, you'll stay in these rooms as long as it's better in here than it is out there. And, um, and by maintaining an attitude of gratitude for what I have today in these rooms, in, this, in, this, in my life, you know, I do, I do have a better life here than I ever had out there. And, um, you know, the things I have to do to stay sober are a very small price to pay. Um, in regards to what I, you know, the life I lived before. So I'm really grateful, you know, I've had my kids in sobriety, I'm really grateful for that. They're in their 30s now, well, 30, 30 and 28. And, um, and, you know, one of the greatest gifts, which I didn't think I'd have when I was 20 and arrived here, was that, you know, I'd be made, able to be present for every moment of their lives. Um, I know that if I was continue, continuing to drink, that I wouldn't be present for their lives. That they, no matter how much I love them, alcohol is a much more powerful um, force for me. That I would choose alcohol over them. And thanks to AA, I haven't had to make that choice. And we're grateful for that. I have, you know, great kids. They have their usual challenges in life, but um, you know, it could have been a lot, lot worse with an alcoholic mother than it has been and um, you know I hold a job down today I look the world in the eye I participate fully in life which is one of the greatest gifts you know basically before I came in here most of my life was spent completely drunk or unconscious two-thirds of my life and um, and today you know I'm, I'm pretty conscious and present for all of my life and other people's that's enough for me and thanks for letting me share.
1: Thanks Brenda. Now this is Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and you're listening to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air and we've got the Bulls and Bears crew in today. Now if you're listening and you want to get in touch with AA there's a phone number you can call in New Zealand It's 0800 229 6757 and there's also an email address help at aa.org.nz Now um, but the, both the phone number and the email address are on our website, which is AA.org.nz. And on that AA website, as I said, there's the phone number and there's the email address. There's lots of other um, bits of information. You can find meetings in your area, anywhere in New Zealand, um, information for newcomers. There's a bit of a history about AA, but m- mainly, the I guess the main thing of the website is that there's a big sign that says, I need help. And if you click on that, <laughs> You'll find a way to get help with your drinking. Uh, so that's AA.org.nz has all the all the stuff on it there. Now um, we also have a Facebook page as well. Uh, this is the meeting on air has has, a, has its own Facebook page, and it's called AA on Air Wellington. And I'm just going to bring it up now. And every so often we get <clears throat> because there's not only people f- from Wellington that uh, that listen to this. Show and um, listen to podcasts of the show. There are people from all around the world, and every so often we we get a comment or um, a, an, an email or a message from someone who's listening. And <coughs> from time to time, we read them out on the air. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, we don't seem to have any t- today, but that's fine. Um, yeah, if you if you feel like making a comment about what you're listening to, um, wherever you are, then you can go onto our Facebook page AALNE Wellington. And every so often we, we post about when we're doing the next show. I've just put a post up there saying that we're live now, so hopefully people are listening. <clears throat> All right, well, let's, um, let's carry on with what we're here to do, which is have some more sharing. So, Victoria, would you like to share?
0: Sure. Uh, Kia ora My name is Victoria. I'm an alcoholic.
1: Hi, Victoria.
0: Um, and it's awesome to be back at the um, AA on air Um I'm feeling good today. I'm staring at a sticker that says, Though born in mud, the lotus is still fragrant. And I'm feeling especially cheesy today. So that really resonated with me um, and kind of my story and my journey of sobriety. Um, I, too, started drinking at, I think, yeah, my first drink was at 15. And I, too, just instantly took to it like a fish to water. Um, I always... From a really young age, I had this real obsession with being normal. Um, I felt like I just wasn't. I like I just tried my hardest to fit in. Um, I knew that my brain didn't work normally, and I knew um, the people I was attracted to wasn't normal, and um, the things I liked wasn't normal. And I just, I just didn't feel normal. And I just all I wanted to be was normal. Um, and when I took a drink, I both didn't care and also felt like I fit in. Um, and I loved going to the parties. I felt like all of a sudden I was cool. And this, this whole kind of world opened up to me, um, when I was in high school and yeah, I too just, um, drank every chance I could get. And I too found that, um, alcohol did something for me that I could see it didn't do for my friends, Um, If I knew that I couldn't get enough alcohol in me on an occasion, then I just wouldn't drink at all because – When I take a drink, it's almost like this unbearable foot-tapping feeling of I just want more and more and more. Um, And I also find that when I take a drink, I just have no guarantee what's going to happen next. So, you know, me and my friends, we would find some seedy old guy outside the liquor store to buy us alcohol. But then I would go home and take, you know, four of my dad's beers and then my parents would give me what they thought was a responsible amount of alcohol. So I would kind of... drink the same as my friends or we all thought, they thought we were drinking the same, but then I'd also top up because I just remember having this fear of not having enough or just this knowledge that, oh, that would never be enough for me. Um, And that stayed the same. Um, But yeah, by the time I was 18, I already knew I had a problem because I just, like I said, I just couldn't control my drinking once I started um, I remember when I moved out of home at 18. Uh, there was a huge military exercise that me and my best friend undertook of trying to get rid of the shoe boxes upon shoe boxes upon shoe boxes of empty alcohol bottles that were <laughs> that I had stored uh, hidden in my uh, wardrobe. So trying to figure out um, getting that all that in the car and getting it to the recycling station when my parents weren't home um yeah that was a very technical operation um but yeah before I left high school my drinking was already getting me into trouble it was already um I was managing to kind of keep it together I kind of had these two lives so in one life I was super super high achieving in academia um and then in the other life I was just uncontrollable, just wild and um, going all kinds of places I shouldn't have been. And my parents had no idea what was going on. Um, But yeah, I'd already gotten myself into some really harmful situations and some really kind of dark, bad, traumatic stuff had already happened. But if anything, instead of kind of making me want to stop it just it just made me want to forget about that stuff so then I just my drinking just would step up and up and up um so by the time I went to university it was just uh the lid was off because all of a sudden I didn't have parents I I didn't live with people who would only let me go out on a Saturday night um so I was going out on a Wednesday night and a Friday night and a Saturday night and then that became Thursday and that became Tuesday and then Monday and then sometimes Sunday morning. So um, quite quickly, every chance I got meant that I had every day was was a chance that I got um, to drink. Um, but I kind of justified it to myself. I, 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 kind of went, oh, I don't drink in the morning, but that doesn't count if you don't wake up till 12 or oh, I never drink alone. Um, but that's because I would have this kind of rotating group of friends, uh, that I drink with so that no one really knew how much I was drinking cause they'd only see me drink maybe once or twice a week. Um, but even though I was very popular at university and I was doing really well in my course, I was so miserable. I was once again just like a shell of a person. I just had this mask on. I wasn't the person that I was on the inside. Like I just, I wasn't doing any of my true interests. I was doing a degree that I hated, um, but I was just doing it for appearance and um, for prestige um, what it looked like, you know, I was in the closet. I was just, I was miserable. Um, and I also, um, was really, really disengaged from my family, which still hurts me. And I think there's still a lot of harm there just because I think part of it was I did want to hide my drinking and my drug use. Um, but then the rest of it was that, um, my dad, um, was dying. Well, we thought he was dying from cancer and I just, instead of, I, I just, I I didn't know how to deal with anything or my only way of dealing with anything was drinking. So instead of, you know, calling him and talking to him and having a good relationship with my parents, I just drank and only talked to them when, you know, they called me every two months to make sure I was alive. So, um, yeah, that was, it was terrible. Um, and yeah, the consequences just kept getting more and more. I kind of always describe it as um, I would kind of set myself these goalposts of, okay, if I ever get to this point, then I'll need to sort this situation out. But then when I got there, then I would just set another point. So it's like the goalpost was always moving further and further out. Um, but yeah, I, I started losing friends. I got kicked out of flats. Um I eventually had to drop out of university. Um, I got into a lot of really bad situations. Um, And yeah, the unpredictable side of my, the unpredictability of my drinking was probably the worst thing. I mean, I would have no idea whether I would have a drink and it would lead to some kind of hilarious, crazy story where we, you know, got illegally close to a sea lion or, you know, like went on some hilarious hijinks. Um, in the middle of South Otago or whether I was going to do something terrible like um, sleep with my best friend's partner or get myself in a really dangerous situation. Um, so yeah, that was really, I started getting scared of myself um, and I would just wake up with, if I drank the night before, I'd wake up with this heavy feeling of shame and dread and then if I hadn't drunk the night before I still work out with this feeling of just dread like a heavy weight on my chest every day um so yeah it was pretty bad so I was actually almost grateful when everything fell apart uh my life kind of ex- just exploded in this pretty quick spiral of, of mess and uh yeah getting kicked out of the final flat and having to drop out of university and uh um My mental health just kind of collapsed. I had a bit of an episode, and my mom had to come and get me. Um, I had to go home and then eventually go to hospital. Um, And when the psychiatrist suggested that I go to rehab, I was relieved. (laughs) I said, yep, yes, I take me. I will go. Um, But I had no... I, I, I don't think I wanted to get... So I didn't have a desire to get sober forever. I just couldn't keep doing it I just couldn't keep doing it I was just I just I quite frankly couldn't keep myself alive anymore um on my own I just I just couldn't do it um so I, I went to rehab but it wasn't the answer for me I mean uh, when I stopped drinking I, I still had all the same stuff I just I just had nothing to numb it with it was like living life without anesthetic you know I just um I still had all the same pain and and inability to deal with things and trauma, um, but just no way of kind of numbing out. Um, But, you know, uh, I detoxed and it gave me uh, hope because I saw other people getting well and it gave me enough time without a drink to kind of clear my head um, and give me that kind of foundation of physical sobriety. And when I came home, I reached what I call the jumping off point where I was <laughs> really miserable. I might have been more miserable than when I went to rehab. Um, but I could see that I couldn't go back to drinking. That wasn't an option. But I also couldn't keep living how I was because I, I just would have topped myself. Um, so that's when I came to AA and at my first meeting, I, I arrived late. And I came in and I stuck my little head in and I said, am I in the right place? And everyone laughed, which I didn't like very much. Um, but I soon understood that, you know, a lot, a lot of people say that no one no one comes here by mistake. Um, and I listened to everyone and I just couldn't get over how honest everyone was and how clean and happy people looked um, and how funny they were. Um, and a big group of women just came and just Grabbed me and took me for coffee, and I'm so glad they did because I don't know if I would have come back. Um, and I think the first few times I only came back because I was just so desperately lonely. I had no friends, I'd just come back to Wellington. Um, so going for coffee with these young women was my only kind of social contact every week. Um, but I got a sponsor. And I kicked and I screamed and I'd hang up on her and (laughs) I did everything she told me not to do. And yet still somehow um, we managed to form a good relationship and I started to trust her. And through trusting her, I started to trust in God. Um, And we worked the steps together and I was able to get up continuous sobriety. Um, And, um, you know, amazing things have happened for me in sobriety. I've been able to work Um, I've been able to financially support myself. Um, I've been able to go back to university and do something I actually really love and care about um, and do well at it. Um, I've been able to repair my uh, relationships with my family and either repair friendships or forge new ones, um, have healthy relationships. Um, One thing I never thought I would do or kind of never kind of pictured was having enough honesty and also having enough trust in God and enough self-esteem and knowing that God loves me and that um, God doesn't make mistakes um, and being able to come out as lesbian, that was such a gift of sobriety um, and, yeah, such a gift of my higher power and just, um, yeah, so amazing for someone who just spent years just – trying to be normal. Um, but now I know that I am normal and, uh, um, and I'm really happy. And I just, I just can't thank this program enough. And one thing I'll, I'll just finish on is the importance of doing service. Um, after a few years of continuous sobriety, I did unfortunately relapse at the start of last year. And I am so thankful for service because on the day I relapsed, I had my home group that night and I had the key, so I was responsible for opening, which meant I still went to my home group on the day that I relapsed. And I am so grateful because like I said, when I drink, it is so unpredictable. So I have no idea where I would have gone to, where, where I would have, you know, what would have happened if I kept drinking, if I'd still be alive. Um, So I got straight back in and, you know, got sober again the next day and just, you know, started again and just, you know, started, started working the program hard. So, um... Yeah, so service is so important to keep us sober. And also, you know, when we're at our darkest points, I've found um, service, yeah, just saves me. So, um, yeah, thanks for letting me share today.
1: Thanks, Victoria. <coughs> this is uh, Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM. And you're listening to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. And we have Bulls and Bears group in the studio today. Their meeting is at the Ace Aotearoa building <coughs> on one hundred ninety-two. Tinakori Road in Thorndon, Wellington, and that's at 7:30 p.m. on a Monday night, and every Monday night. Um, and I got that information from the AA.org.nz website. On there, I hovered over AA meetings and clicked on what I click on open meetings, and found that one. There's also about meetings, closed meetings, and on-air meetings, which are these ones. So if I click on that one, <coughs> it would take you to a list of these meetings that have been pre-recorded and from various dates and so you can actually go onto the website and listen to other recordings of these AA on-air meetings which is wonderful. So that's on aa.org.nz, AA meetings and then on-air meetings and there's lots of other information about AA on the website aa.org.nz. There's the free phone number 0800 229 6757 it's also an email address that you can email if you want someone to come back to you if you want more information or help. And I did mention before about our Facebook page as well, AA AI on Air Wellington. So feel free to visit that and um, <coughs> like and comment as you, you know to your heart's content, as all you Facebook lovers love to do. <coughs> so, um, <coughs> all right. Well, I'll, I'll finish with um, a bit of a share. So I'm I'm Dan. I'm an alcoholic. And <coughs> And um, it is a wonderful thing to be in a meeting on a Saturday morning. Um, as a drinker, my Saturday mornings um, were very different. They um, <clears throat> they were either sort of continuations of my Friday nights, or they were just in, you know and <clears throat> oh, they were there was dead time where I was either asleep or not really able to function because of all the drinking I did on Friday nights, which was my prime drinking time, and. <clears throat> As a drinker I mean, like um I certainly relate to the the comment about alcohol doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, or also what it like it did things to me that it didn't seem to do to my friends, and it seemed to me that I got around about ten thousand times the enjo more enjoyment out of an alcoholic drink than other people around me did, and I couldn't understand why no one wanted to drink for as long or as often as as I did and um you know I, I, I guess you know i realized in my I, I got into quite a lot of trouble in my 20s and managed to uh, stumble into the rooms of aa and heard a few things in those rooms as a 20 year old which made me think yeah maybe um yeah maybe i do have a bit of a problem but luckily i wasn't as bad as all those people in the rooms then and so i was able to uh, take the information and Leave the rooms of AA and carry on drinking, and I never darkened the doorway of another meeting uh, for 16 years. Uh, during that time, I managed to kind of piece a bit of a life together. You know, I got married and you know, bought an apartment, and you know, maintained a career. Um, but all, all the time, I was loving to drink, and my weekends were completely dominated by alcohol and drinking events. You know, going to the movies or you know doing almost anything was always better with a few beers. <clears throat> and I did a lot of things drunk and a lot of things I didn't do because I'd been drinking the night before. And I, you know, I'd miss uh, family events or other things that were important to other people. Uh, or if I did turn up, I would be grumpy because I was hungover and I wouldn't fully participate. And... I think what it's, you know, my life as a drinker was characterised by was complete selfishness. All I was thinking about would be me and how I could, you know, make everyone around me happy so that I could drink. <laughs> that was basically the the, the plan. <laughs> um, every day and every week and every month, and it went on for years. And until it got to a point where I sort of caught myself at a weak moment after, you know, three pretty solid days of drinking... And I upset myself a lot and was very emotional and I rang AA and you know, having had no contact with her for sixteen years. And there happened to be a meeting that morning on a Sunday morning and I went and I you know, breathed alcohol fumes over everybody <laughs> and they asked me to share and I shared and I had a big cry and they said keep coming back. And I did and um, I I went to a lot of meetings in my early days, and quite quickly I got a sponsor. I was just desperate really, like, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew I didn't want what I had. And I kind of sensed that there was something in these rooms of AA that would be really good for me. And so I just listened and did what I was told, which was unusual for me really. And I keep coming to meetings, got a sponsor, started working on the steps, and I was so glad that I got a sponsor because it was someone that was able to spend time with me, one on one, and just explain, you know, to me what was going on, answer my questions, um, just sort of guide me, and really just connect me with AA, just to make sure that I was still going to meetings and also working slowly, working through the twelve steps. And you know, there's, there's some sort of miracle that happens. What's happened for me from working those twelve steps? And quite from quite early on, my desire to drink left me, which is like <laughs> bizarre. It's like for someone that loved drinking as much as I did, all of a sudden I couldn't care less about it, and I didn't even think about it. And now nowadays it doesn't really occur to me um, unless I'm at a meeting. Sometimes it's it's weird. <laughs> and um, I've I've continued to do. Those same things I did in the early days. I continue to do them now. It took me about two and a half years to start praying every morning and every night, but um, I do that now, and um, and I'm not religious at all. Uh, I don't go to church. Um, I did, and I sort of turned my back on religion, but I've found a higher power that I, that that I agree with, and that it's um, it works for me, and. So I, I do a few simple things every day, and the and the results of that are that I get to live a good life. And nowadays, I'm much more active in my family. I participate. I'm a much better employee. I'm still not perfect, but I'm better. <laughs> uh, my personal relationships with friends and and lots of other people are really good, most of them. And you know, I I'm I make an effort and I try and just I just kind of do my. Try and do my best every day, and when I do something wrong, I try and realise it straight away and 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 apologise or try and make things right immediately, which is so different to the way I used to live. I, like a lot of the time, it wouldn't it wouldn't even occur to me that other people would be annoyed or you know about my behaviour or my actions, and you know that I have to go and apologise or set things right. But you know, like I've I try and do that today and I, I try and um you know a service as well that's been mentioned today, and uh you know this is one of the best services I've done within AA is, is this, you know the meeting on air I think it's a, you know it's wonderful and it's, you know, it carries the message to so many people and it helps me so much as well um i'm I'm just really grateful today um there was a um in my 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 meeting that I go to on wednesday they were sh- sharing about gratitude and um, I didn't get a chance to share, but if I had, I would have said um, th- there's a saying that really resonates with me. It's like whatever we're not grateful for, we'll lose. And mm-hmm. and and for me, I'm I'm glad that I'm cont- I continue to be grateful for my sobriety and my you know lots of other things in my life, my family and my job and you know my surroundings. And my and my fellows and my colleagues and like I'm there's a lot I'm grateful for and you know every so often I write it down (laughs) Um, you know gratitude lists are are, are wonderful as well and um, so I mean I'm you know like for me this is you know there's I've had two lives there's a line in the sand from when I was a drinker to to now and it's I'm lucky enough to have a like a second crack at this you know and um, and i and I may not get another chance, like I think you know if I was to to relapse, I'd like to think I'd be lucky enough to come back, but I'm not sure, mm. so I'd much rather um you know people say keep coming back um I think the idea is to not ever leave really um but yeah that's um i'm I'm really grateful for the people in these rooms that you know they were there for me when i when I staggered and drunk or half drunk and um you know, and they've been there for me ever since. And um, yeah, so I'm really grateful. So I think I'll, I'll leave it there. And um, yeah, thanks to the to Bulls and Bears for coming in today. Um, and um, thanks to everyone that's listening. We'll we'll, um, we'll close as a as a little group with the Serenity Prayer. So if you'd like to join me, God, God grant, grant me the serenity to accept the things, things I cannot change, cannot change. Courage, courage to change the things I can. I can. Wisdom to know the difference.
0: That program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your
1: voice heard. Thanks, New Zealand on air for funding accessmedia.nz.